the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the last hour this wonderful Friday afternoon on the Seth Leibson Show. This is Zudi Jasser sitting in for Seth and uh, always happy to be here and uh, great to to talk to all of you. If you want to call in, uh, please join the conversation. 602-508-0960. 602-508-0960. I'm pleased to bring to you Tarek Fatah. Tarek is a longtime friend, and uh, we've been out of touch uh, now uh, longer than I'd like to to uh, admit to, but uh, he is just an unbelievable guy with unending energy. Tarek, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good thank, to hear your voice. Thank you, thank you. Tarek, is, I'll read from his Twitter. He wouldn't give me a bio to introduce him, and I'll let him introduce himself, but uh, Tarek is, according to his Twitter, an Indian born in Pakistan, Canadian by choice, columnist for the Toronto Sun, author of A Tragic Illusion of an Islamic State, and to this audience, don't don't be afraid now, he's a Marxist <laughs> fighting fighting Islamism for 50 years, and by the way, has one of the most popular shows in India, and almost, I looked at your Twitter account, I'm like, oh my, you're, you're going to cross 700,000 here any any day now. Yes, I, 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 uh, somehow Twitter whittled away at my account, uh, so they cut away about fifty thousand followers. <laughs> you haven't been uh, you haven't been dismissed at the powers that be for not being woke enough or offending. No, I, I've I've learned how to uh, get around their ambush skills uh, and uh, figure out how to. Uh, stay within the law, at least their law, uh, but keep uh, uh, hitting at what I think is the greatest threat to North America. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it it's a lifelong thing. I don't want to jeopardize that, but uh, it worries me immensely. Well, know. it's it's I, when you agreed to uh, join me today, I was just elated because there's so many things I want to talk to you about from India to Canada. But let's start with India yeah. because I think the, yeah. the the news here is is very hampered by the reality on the ground. And you have not only you don't only hail from the area, you you visit there, you have a program there, yeah. and has an unbelievable following. And uh, as as a Muslim, you you come across. Yeah. I mean, remember, I'll, I'll remind our audience. The largest Muslim country in the world is India. Now it's it's not yes. Muslim majority, <laughs> but they have almost three hundred and fifty to four hundred. I don't know the last number. Million Muslims, and yeah. uh, they're a minority uh, in a country of over a billion people. And yeah. it's interesting now. Biden just uh, stopped travel from India. I'm surprised he's mm-hmm. not being called an Islamophobe, right? I mean that that should be that should be a Muslim ban. Biden has done no, no. now a Muslim ban by by stopping travel from India, right? He he's picking up from your last president's script, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, but I'm just kidding. But things are bad over there. Uh, there's no doubting about it. But what strikes me as immensely 
hypocritical is the fact that you can call it the Indian strain, you can call one of the strains Brazilian strain, but no one dare to call uh, the China virus as the China virus. And uh, I might be totally out on a limb, but for me, it seems bordering biological warfare that not a single person, not a single city in China, the place where this virus supposedly originated, is under any concern. No deaths, no nothing, absolutely clean. The only people affected are uh, China's neighbors, and primarily India, which is its main rival in Asia. Uh, it has affected Iran, it has affected Italy, it has affected the whole world. But the primary target of this virus, which the Himalayan mountains couldn't stop, is India. And there's no sort of direct flight going in and out of that place. But it is uh, quite uh, shocking to me as to how the Western media uh, portrays uh, this disease uh, with, uh, with a hint of cowardice and a lack of courage. Because I, I don't hear the word China virus any time since uh, uh, President Trump left office. But you do hear the Indian variant. You do hear, um, um, uh, you know, flights being banned from there. And you have to also understand it is a thousand million people. And so a thousand million living the standards of the United States, which I say 300 million, it is, for the last 70 years, just 1% of its GDP used to be spent on health. Just 1%. The rest of the money goes in building up armed forces to face either Pakistan or China, north of the border. And now China has come down in uh, Myanmar or Burma, as they call it, without anyone noticing, without anyone being concerned about it. It has literally, China has surrounded India from all sides. The Arabian Sea, uh, in the Bay of Bengal, the Indian Ocean, right across, everywhere. The Chinese have the port in Gwadar, which is at the mouth of the uh, Persian Gulf, based in Pakistan. They have another base in uh, uh, Sri Lanka which uh, and Maldives. Then they have one in Bangladesh. They are choking off the only democracy in the developing world. The only country that has regular elections, that has never had elections which are disputed, that has an electronic vote system. The staggered voting takes place for about 20 days before counting begins. Uh, and yet, that democracy is at the risk of collapsing because nobody seems to be uh, interested, and especially, I'll say, the pharma companies uh, uh, who put down, uh, who refuse to let go of their uh, uh, patents to save people, including American uh, raw materials for the virus, which, by the way, are produced in India. Yeah. But India can't use it because of the pharma company. So it's a long tragedy that has happened. I won't say that it wasn't mismanagement, but it was uh, the assumption that they had won the war on the first wave 
And then they started distributing their uh, uh, vaccines even to Canada and Barbados and Brazil and Argentina, Chile in South Africa, uh, Tanzania, every country that needed vaccines free of cost were provided for. So at some level, they had a delusional uh, idea that we've conquered this stuff. And now we have this uh, disaster that oxygen, uh, uh, you know, it it can be produced, but the infrastructure is not there to get it to point zero, where people are simply, you know, in overcrowded urban centers. You know, Delhi's got about 30 million people living over there. So uh, uh, it's a very complex country to run, Doctor, because the 29 states with 400 languages and six different religious groups, ranging from Buddhists to Zoroastrians to Hindus to Muslims, Catholics, Protestants, Evangelicals, you name it. And India is a free place for all these people to come and live together. So, uh, boy, that's... Best, yeah, best needed to act sooner than sending it now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, wow, just fascinating what what you just uh, shared with us. Uh, I mean, just to share with our audience, um, you know, the crematoria are overwhelmed. They've been melting down from overuse. Uh, the uh, India broke the world record for the most new coronavirus cases in a week, surpassing 350,000 cases on Friday as deaths jumped to a record of 2,263 a day. The United States had been previously more. My question to you, uh, uh, Tariq, is initially, do you think the numbers I thought last year, I was wondering why, you know, we looked at the numbers out of Syria. And and like you said, in China, you know, the government said there were 10 cases and we all knew our families, half of them were getting sick and the numbers were just not reported. And same thing with China. I think they just didn't report numbers often. Do you think India in the first wave underreported the numbers because uh, or, or some because it really doesn't make sense how they had such a minimal first wave. I would. Uh, it could be. I cannot dismiss that. But the intention was not to deceive anyone. Perhaps it is. It's a population spread out over. I would say fifty thousand villages. Yeah. Some not can. And right now, under Prime Minister Modi. Everyone is connected electronically through electronic vote cards and bank accounts and all that. Things have improved uh, hold, dramatically. Hold that thought. But, we'll hold that thought. We're going to have to go to break okay. in two seconds, and we'll come back. We're talking to Tarek Vata about India and everything else. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser in the chair this Friday, late afternoon, early evening on the Seth Leapson Show. Always great to be in for him and uh, great to be with all of you. Call us if you have any questions. We're talking about India with Tariq Fatah, one of the world's uh, leading uh, individuals on and thinkers on political Islam, on the Islamic State, on reform, on India, on Pakistan. Uh, he hails from Canada. He writes for the Toronto Sun, and you can find him on Twitter with his few Little over seven, a little under seven hundred thousand followers. Uh, uh, Tarek, thanks for being with us. Not at all. So, so listen. My question: Let's talk politics in India for a second.
because okay. we, we covered a lot of what was happening medically. They're running out of oxygen. They they sent out. Uh, there's a lot of mismanagement issues, et cetera, et cetera. But we're in the middle of Ramadan. We're fasting, uh, um, mm-hmm. all of this. The conspiracy theories are going through the roof about somehow, the, and I don't even want to articulate it because it's insane, right? They're saying somehow the, the, the Modi government is doing this to get rid of Muslims in India, and that's insanity. <laughs> uh, but, you know, during the month of Ramadan, so so tell me, what is, you know, listen, and, and by the way, here in the United States, all of a sudden, because the Abraham Accords have finally exposed how radical the Palestinian leadership is, the Palestinian <laughs> cause no longer has any foothold with Arab countries. I mean, we literally had Abbas two days ago yeah. referring yeah. to Arabs with profanity. That was unprecedented. He referred to Arabs, his fellow Arabs, as a Palestinian. He called them a word that cannot be said on the air anywhere. And 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 here, so now you know that they're desperate. So now all of a sudden, the American Indian po- Muslim population is now being led by movements that are starting to complain about Kashmir. And yes. so what's going on? Conspiracy theories abound about COVID. Uh, Kashmir is all of a sudden on the radar when it wasn't uh, uh, two years ago. What's happening? Well, we, we Muslims, as you know, uh, uh, have really not adjusted the two numerals that make this the 21st century. We still live in the 12th, and uh, it doesn't take much effort but uh, physically to get here. But somehow the lore of uh, a golden age and uh, the, the times when there, were, there was nothing except yeah, the Turkish sword under which the Arabs lived for 600 years <laughs> under their colonial rule all seems quite majestic. So suddenly the, uh, the Palestinian agenda or the Arab agenda has shifted and we now have the triangular Turkish-Pakistani-Malaysian non-Arab Islamic uh, phenomena rising. And with it, if you recall, if any student of history, that from 1258 onwards, the Arabs primarily were disenfranchised, not by Crusades or anyone else, but by the Turks, who in 600 years, by the way, produced not even a single book that can be read as a classic, if at all. Uh, it was the sheer empty-headedness of their um, uh, rule over the rest of the Islamic world. But let, let's keep that aside. Erdogan is now projecting himself with uh, Pakistanis as the raw material and as a nuclear state, and Malaysians with uh, sort of a uh, fascination of the sultans that they were never there. This new phenomena is taking place under the leadership of the Turks. And the Turkish investment in Kashmir is driving this. Interesting. Now, in India... One has to realize that for 800 years, the Turkish hordes invaded and plundered the country, continuously destroying uh, 36,000 Hindu temples in the process, and literally uh, uh, using India or the Hindu female population as the female slaves that they would then send to Damascus this in the slave markets and the word Hindi therefore, is part of the Arabic uh, uh, lingo, as, as they say. So now, 
we have the situation of a new breed of Islamism, where common sense seems to be coming over uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, you'd be shocked to learn that uh, they have introduced the Indian Hindu classics, uh, the Mahabharata and the longest uh, poem ever in history, the Mahabharata, in the primary school system. And so has the UAE and other Arab countries who have seen through what's coming. So the focus is now Kashmir, but it is cut off from uh, the the, the Saudis or the Egyptians or the uh, Emirates because India has a very good working relationship with the Arab countries who consider Pakistan primarily as uh, you know, I hate to put it that way, but beggars on the loose. You know, they either run to the United States or China or Saudi Arabia with a bowl in the hand. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 it surprises me that the United States has never been able to focus and identify Pakistan as a primary source of international Islamic terrorism. 9-11, everyone, how did uh, uh, Sheikh uh, was a Pakistani. The hijackers were in Pakistan. Osama bin Laden was there. And yet, the Pakistani military generals are in such good terms that nobody ever sanctions them. Now America is pulling out of Afghanistan. And I, I cannot understand how you would choose September 11th as yeah. the date. <laughs> Uh, uh, like, who are these brain wizards uh, in Washington? <laughs> How could you do that? That's the day they chose. The, the, our enemies it's chose 9-11. You know we can't what? choose it. Unbelievable. No, but 9-11, you know what yeah. it stands for. It's just 1684 at the gates of Vienna, where the Lithuanian and Polish armies kicked them out of Austria. That was on the date 9-11. And now, you, to commemorate it, your president has decided, oh, May, no, I liked 9-11. Oh, those wonderful days when planes crashed and we knew what would happen. What is wrong with America is something that my friends ask, really. What has gone wrong? It's, it's basically mean, I, the I, anti-American I, movement is, is controlling the, the narrative. So as, as I mean, your vice president is a joke. Your president is, <laughs> I, I don't want to say that, but for heaven's sake, it scares the wits out of people in India. So, That's Tariq, let me ask only you. only democracy. Right. You know, so, so in India, let me ask you, the, the, what's the reality between uh, about what Modi's doing on the citizenship rules and other aspects about Muslims? And we have one minute uh, in this segment. No, Muslims are suffering do not suffer anything. In fact, the case is that Muslims have a veto power in any law that comes out in India. They are the deciding factor. The first five education ministers in India were all pan-Islamists. The Indians don't even know their own history because it has been tuned to cater to the Muslim presence, the Muslim vote bank. And therefore, this Citizenship Act was merely to the illegal people who had come from Bangladesh to West Bengal without papers to regularize them. Why would anyone in Afghanistan or Pakistan go to live in India 
when at the same time you say that India is anti-Muslim. Hold that, hold that thought. When we come back, let's talk Pakistan and understand it when we come back on the Seth Leibson Show. This is Zudi Jasser filling in for Seth Leibson on the Seth Leibson Show. He'll be back with you on Monday. It's great to be with all of you, and as we finish out and get ready for a wonderful weekend, we have the pleasure of talking to Tariq Fatah, a, a leading host of a program that has quite the large following in India. He's based out of Canada, writes for the Toronto Sun, and is a fellow Muslim reformer, though hails from the other side of the political spectrum, but proud to call him a fellow warrior. Tariq, thanks for joining us. Uh, good to be. So... So one of the things that I think is amazing about what's happening in India now, not only about COVID, but politically, is, you know, is this whole issue of of the Islamists in the West sort of working together to recalibrate the propaganda, no longer about Palestine, but about Kashmir. And if, if if the current dumbest idea of the last two centuries isn't Pakistan and making it an Islamic republic, the dumber idea would be making Kashmir its own Islamic republic. And, uh... You know, so so going forward, what should be the policy, and is there any hope that the Biden administration? I mean, Imran Khan, the Prime Minister of of Pakistan, who probably should have stayed a cricket player, calls he called recently for Muslim countries to force Western governments to criminalize insulting the Prophet, and calls for a trade boycott. And it almost seemed like there's this new axis of evil, like you were talking about Turkey uh, and its influence, yeah. Qatar. Iran, yep. Pakistan, yep. all these Islamic republics that are Islamist yep. and, and core are driving the narrative. And where yep. do we go from here? Well, you have to first recognize that the first and only Islamic state ever in human history is the Islamic state of Pakistan, carved out by, uh, from India just after the Second World War. Uh, in an attempt by the British to create a buffer state between the Soviet Union at that time and Afghanistan, which was pro-Soviet, and the newly independent Republic of India. And they effectively used Pakistan throughout the Cold War and to destabilize and defeat the Soviet Union through the creation of the Taliban, the Mujahideen, and all these people who were even welcomed, if you recall, by President Reagan. Now, that would be fine if it was a tactical move, but it seems that this became the strategy defined at the Pentagon, which allows Pakistani military generals to run a a hunter type of regime, from cement to cornflakes to nuclear bombs. It is the largest uh, conglomerate, corporation, and employer in the state of Pakistan. They run everything from schools to even the uh, IED manufacturing facilities, which come out of fertilizer factories. But when the Pentagon did the research as to who's making these IEDs for Afghanistan, it turned out to be a Pakistani general who was an American citizen and lived in the United States. In California, all these American Pakistani army officers have their own club. They <laughs> sit here. They have dual identities and dual names. Yep. They've completely outclassed the American 
uh, uh, from my perspective, I might be wrong, but penetrating the United States, spreading jihadi Islamism, and if you notice, most of the campus-based Muslim students' association, the taking over of uh, every cafeteria in urban schools as a prey center, all of that is happening by not just the Muslim Brotherhood, which the United States experts are familiar with, but it's the Jamai Islami, which is the Indian-Pakistani-based variation of that. You will notice that it's not the Turks or the Arabs on the campus or the Iranians who are whipping up frenzy. It is always the Pakistani and the Indian Muslim who gets together to whip up anti-American hysteria, even while living in the United States. This whole notion that America is an evil state is thoroughly inbred in the minds of almost everyone that I know who comes from Pakistan and lives in the United States. They might not say so, but their their, uh, opposition to President Trump reflected that. uh, Their ability to hide their real intentions is so scary. They tried to introduce Sharia law in Canada, if you recall. We were so grateful to some uh, people who listened to what we were saying. But they had planted people here to introduce Sharia in Canada and then set it as an example for Michigan, where they believed that there was an ample space around Detroit and these areas where you could uh, bring that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tarek. I wish we had more time. Number one area. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. God bless. Stay safe. Stay healthy. It's great to reconnect with you. Take care. This is Zudi Jasser on the Seth Leesman Show. We'll be right back. This is Zudi Jasser filling in for Seth Leapson and taking you all into the weekend. He'll be back on Monday, and it's uh, been great uh, sharing some time with all of you. If you have any questions, want to talk, call 602-508-0960, 602-508-0960. Well, we've heard from uh, uh, Ezra Nomani earlier in the 3 o'clock hour about indoctrination in our school systems and what we can do as parents to watch over what our kids are taught, demand that we know the curriculum and prevent the radicalization of our youth as being anti-American and uh, being, in a way, told that they're getting critical race theory but actually being all about indoctrinating anti-Americanism rather than what they claim to be intended for. We talked to Ryan Morrow about jihadism and its spread and the fact that while we might be focused on China, while we might be focused on domestic issues coming out of our lockdowns that were interminable in oh too long, but finally our economy is awakening, the job market has awakened, and we're getting back to being American. And But the jihadists have continued to grow and spread, and the threats are there. And, you know, I will tell you, as as we look at that threat, a few months ago, the King Supers in Boulder, Colorado, in, was horrifically attacked by a terrorist by the name of Ahmed al-Issa. And this gentleman committed an act of terror, but yet it went off the pages within a day or two. It went off 
by the left as a another act of gun violence. The New York Times had the temerity to write a piece by Jack Healy on April uh, 9th, this is, and the title of it was this heartbreaking tone that, I know she's gone, but why? Love and loss at a Boulder grocery store. Why? So the, the, they're finally asking, why did this happen? And the reporter, by the way, whose tagline, Healy's tagline at the end, says a reporter that has covered not only the beats in New York, but in Afghanistan and Iraq. So this is not an individual that is ignorant or naive to radical Islam. He asked the question, why? And then takes the reader through a few thousand words of heartbreaking stories of those who died and their families and their loss by simply thinking they were going to the grocery store not to come back because they were attacked by Ahmed Elisa. And the terrorist name is not in the piece. The fact that Elisa had multiple posts about anti-Americanism, about Islamophobia, uh, complaining about the way Muslims were being treated, pieces supporting Turkey. His father had even a more replete Facebook posts and others about ideology. Now, this is not to confirm the intent. We don't know. But you'd think reporters would be asking. You'd think that uh, ultimately the words of Elisa would be exposed in some of the discussions and reporting about the attack in Colorado. But none of the reporters of legacy legacy media uh, were willing to address actually the why that the New York Times asked at the top, but failed to answer in the body of their study and report. And I think nothing, and if there's one message you get from me today, that there's nothing that depicts the current sad state of affairs and the extent to which the media can enforce the national narrative then it has decided to enact a complete and unwavering blackout on the coverage of Islamists. We saw this in Colorado, and then we saw it a few weeks later in the Noah Green attack of the Nation of Islam follower that decided to drive his vehicle into the Capitol grounds and kill a police officer and injure another. And, you know, it's fascinating that if you look at the background of Al-Isa, you start to ask, okay, an immigrant from Syria, his father's social media account included support of Erdogan, peppered with extreme anti-Shia hate. There are, there were some screen grabs before they removed it from online of some of the way in which El-Isa's father talked about the Shia Muslim community that was quite radical, and yet that was ignored. He was simply the, the shooter... The terrorist in Colorado was identified as a loner with mental issues in the interviews that were done. And yet there were some significant worrisome signs about his ideology, and yet it didn't fit the narrative of the left. So not every horrific incident that happens is going to need to be addressed the same way, and yet we seem to be locked into this cycle where uh, it is... Uh, continuing to be addressed in a way that ignores the global influences, ignores the ideologies. But when it serves the left's interest, they will drill down on ideology. 
as we saw them drilling down on the Proud Boys and others that were, yes, uh, radical groups, but uh, did not get the same treatment that others did. Why is that? Because it didn't serve political purposes. Uh, And there's basically a media black hole when it comes to addressing these things. We saw um, Biden appointments that did not get the same vetting because some of them were of Islamist background. We talked earlier about the federal judge appointment of Zahid Qureshi. I didn't know much about him. Appointed to the magistrate in New Jersey since 2019. He was appointed now by the Biden administration to the U.S. District Court for New Jersey, a post that would make him the first Muslim federal judge in America. He was presented as part of an effort to make the federal judiciary reflect, quote, according to the Islamist apologist Ayman Ismail at Slate, the first federal Muslim judge in America. That's something to be proud of. Presented as part of an effort to make, uh, I'm sorry, his nomination earned some plaudits and endorsement of several state legal groups, including the Asian Pacific American Lawyers Association and the South Asian Bar Association of New Jersey. But yet, this hit piece from Slate goes on to basically say that he's the wrong guy. Unnamed sources, nobody really standing up to take ownership of these opinions, but just an assassination attempt uh, politically by the Slate writer. And what does he use as an example? He says, oh, I believe it's the wrong guy, said a former Muslim elected official, former elected official who's Muslim in New Jersey, was asked not to be named because of the political sensitivity of the nomination. He said, ask any African-American how happy they are about Clarence Thomas. It's a very similar perspective at a bunch of different levels. And it's just absurd. This is what happens where you have identity politics, identity politics driving the narrative, where it's not coming from the Islamist groups that are controlling the Ilhan Omar squad progressivists, if you will, that now are controlling the agenda for the far left. If it's not one of their folks that are sweet, that are just heaped in their apologia, if you will, then it's not the right guy. And we saw this, we saw this attitude now in reference to Senator Tim, Senator Tim Scott's response to President Biden's address this week. And when we come back, let's talk about how, what should be the American dream, if you will? How do we approach diversity? Is it simply racial diversity? Is it ethnic or is it ideological diversity? How do we come to terms with what real diversity is in America? This is Zudi Jasser on The Seth Liebson Show. This is Zudi Jasser closing out the week on The Seth Liebson Show. Honored to guest host and bring you into the weekend. So identity politics. We need to figure out how to counter that. And I think the way to counter that is to demand what diversity means. Diversity means a diversity of opinions, a diversity of ideas, approaches, that we are not monolithic, that we are a country of immigrants, a country of diverse backgrounds that come together and figure out how to compromise and maintain the founding principles of this nation in the Constitution and its Bill of Rights. And, you know, like I said, President Biden appointed the first Muslim to the federal courts. I didn't know who he was, Zahid Qureshi. Uh, I assumed, based on some of his other appointments, that it might be a problematic appointment. But now 
that the Islamists are asking. The Islamists are saying, oh, his resume was problematic because he was a captain in the U.S. Army Judge Advocate General Corps. It's problematic because he worked for ICE specifically as an assistant chief counsel from 2007 to 8. It's problematic because he assisted enlisted detention operations legal advisor to brigade commander and then the radical care representative who, by the way, thinks we shouldn't even honor Memorial Day horrifically, Zahira Balu from CARE then says that his resume included working during the Iraq War, and thus somehow he must be responsible for Abu Ghraib and the crimes committed there. This is what's happening on the left, where you have probably a leftist judge who I might not agree with on most of his rulings, but yet served this country and proves he's not part of the Islamist establishment because the Islamist establishment is coming after him, the Ilhan Omar establishment now that many of you may be aware of. So the media establishment is not reporting on Islamists when they attack us. The Islamists are attacking appointees to the court that don't fit their red-green agenda from the socialist far left and also the Islamists. And then we have this week more identity politics where Senator Tim Scott gives a fantastic rebuttal about what he loves about America, saying that America is not a racist nation and that he didn't say that we don't have issues that we need to repair and fix, but he said that he will not allow this country to be identified as a holistically racist country. That's absurd. And yet the left allowed Uncle Tim to trend, which is what's happening right now. We have to rest back the narrative about diversity. The diversity that is the greatness of America is the fact that we can disagree. We can find various opinions and come together and compromise under one flag, under one country. It's always great to be here. Looking forward to Seth being back in the chair next week. God bless. Have a great weekend and stay healthy and safe. This is Zudi Jasser on The Seth Leapson Show.